Welcome to The Unplanned Show, where we explore the impact of disruption, strategies for transforming how your teams spend their time with respect to problems, and emerging trends that are changing the nature of challenges and how we manage them. I'm your host, Dormain Drewitz, and these episodes are broadcasted live on most Mondays at 1 p.m. Pacific time on PagerDuty's LinkedIn, YouTube, and Twitch channels. This episode of The Unplanned Show was originally recorded on September 11th during National Preparedness Month. While it's not September anymore, it is a time for making New Year's resolutions. I hope this conversation is a useful reminder about the need for crisis readiness and that you can take away at least one thing to include in your own New Year's resolutions. And feel free to send any feedback to community-team at pagerduty.com. All right. Welcome back, folks, for another episode of The Unplanned Show. With me today, I have a guest, Jason Flint, who leads our workplaces and crisis management here at PagerDuty. Say hello, Jason. Hello, everyone. Before we dive into the topic of today, we'll just cover a quick housekeeping about some upcoming episodes. Next week, we will have Jake Cohen on to talk about generative AI and automation. And then looking a little further out, we have scheduled an upcoming episode with Meg Watson of Spotify and PagerDuty's uh, own Tiago Barbosa on our advocates team to talk about PagerDuty's plugin for Backstage. Raise your hand if you didn't know that there was a plugin for Backstage for PagerDuty. That was a, a fun thing to learn about and actually some really interesting details to look forward to. So looking forward to those. And today it is September 11th, which is of course an important day of remembrance for certainly folks here in the U.S. And it also has been something uh, either catalyzing or inspiring, however you want to call it, but this National Preparedness Month. And Jason, this is something you you spearhead a lot internally at PagerDuty around this preparedness month and a lot of engagement and education and activities for employees around the world. But I wanted to step back and learn a little bit more. How did this evolve in the last 20 odd years? And what does it really mean? I mean, the types of things that people need to prepare for, we really sort of unfortunately been reminded year after year about how many different situations arise that really require being prepared. And there are all kinds of different crises. But what can you tell us a little bit to think about preparedness month? Yeah. So within our organization, like we really started off as a few years ago as national preparedness month. And I think that's the term everyone uses in the U.S. specifically. And then like sort of knowing that we're a global organization and that, you know, there's dangers all over the world and threats exist everywhere. Um, we started to coin it as Global Preparedness Month, right? Because we want all of our, our teams and all of our folks across seas and even here in the U.S. And now as we start thinking about like this hybrid work scenario and, you know, protecting people at home as well, it's really more about a global sort of state of readiness and state of preparedness versus just here in the U.S., and, and so that really grew into this, um, this campaign that we run annually here at PagerDuty, where we really engage with our employees and 
you know, challenge them to learn about the different threats that are out there and the different natural disasters that are, you know, some in some cases sort of record breaking and first of its kind. You know, we just went through a global pandemic, right? No one thought that was something that would happen within their lifespan. So I think it's really just understanding the the amount of threats out there and then just having plans in place, making sure that you're ready with your disaster kit or your disaster resources, and then just really practicing it day in and day out and staying vigilant as much as possible. So you mentioned using the the Awareness Month as an opportunity to educate folks about the different types of threats. There's probably a huge range and spectrum in terms of the maturity in which you can be in terms of your preparedness. What is the hope that a month of education and engagement, how do we move the dial? What are we hoping to get out of doing this type of thing for a month versus what do we need to do week in, week out across an organization to think about that type of preparedness? Yeah, a really great question. Yeah, I think there's... I mean, there, there are so many different levels of preparedness, right? And we actually just ran a training last week where we talked about situational awareness and having that that spectrum from, you know, where you're sort of overly alert and overly prepared to the point where it brings paralysis, right? We don't want folks to be like, you know, thinking about everything bad that can potentially happen at every moment of the day. And that's really why we rely on our first responders, emergency managers, and crisis professionals out there is that they do all the scenario planning for us and sort of determine the best paths, the best pathways forward in order for us to, to focus our efforts. Cause you can plan for like every single scenario, but you're not going to get much accomplished because there's always something else that's going to happen. That's going to be a little bit different than what you plan for. Um, and I cover this in the guide when I talk about sort of planning for some fringe events that you know you may not see every once in a while so those are the type of scenarios and you can really get creative with like thinking about the different things that could happen and really just focusing in on those those specific ones for your organization that are going to be high impact i think is the important thing and then from there just sort of thinking about what your maturity looks like what's your desired outcome if your organization does face a crisis in that realm is it to eliminate the threat immediately? Is it to sort of manage it because it's a complex and protracted sort of crisis? Is it to make sure your customers are informed or um, notified about what's going on? So really just understanding what your, your end goal is and then just building back from that. Yeah, you bring up a really interesting point of that balance between wanting to make sure a broader employee population is educated and engaged enough to be prepared and able to respond appropriately, but not like everyone goes out and is hardcore prepping, which actually, now that you you brought that up, it would be potentially counterproductive, right? Because so much of the crisis response is about coordinating across teams. So some person who's like, I've figured it all out and I'm going to do all the things, but it's really only within my sphere, then that doesn't really help the whole organization gain resilience 
in, in the face of a crisis, right? So when you think about you're crossing team boundaries, what hits at the bigger group? This gets to something you, you mentioned, which was going to be the, the next line of questioning I had for you, which was around the ops guides and the updates that you made recently. And I can drop a link for folks that are specific to crisis response management operations. So maybe tell us a little bit more about what that gets into and the org level response as opposed to just individuals. Yeah, absolutely. So in this guide, it's specifically focused on sort of speed off the line, your mean time to respond and really just getting you to a place where you are ready, you are prepared for a whole host of scenarios and you've practiced it, you've run through it in a more realistic sort of way using functional exercises rather than tabletop exercises, which I talk about in the guide. And so this is really understanding as an organization that like there's so many stakeholders that you need to communicate with and work with in order to resolve a situation. So building in both the the business resilience and just personal resilience as well is super important right now. And so this guide really captures a lot of that sort of guidance and best practices and It also talks about how we use PagerDuty to really manage a lot of that and sort of make it easier for us to to manage a crisis. What are some of the things like the recent learnings that have informed the the updates that you made here? Because this isn't a completely new practice, but what's new that maybe we didn't know about or we didn't have the capability of doing in, in quite as elegant a way? Yeah, I think, yeah, you put that really great way. Like it's not, there's no new philosophy here, right? It's still identify a problem, find it and fix it. It's still the same sort of process. And what I try to accomplish here is start looking at the level of execution. Um, You know, at, at the crisis level, you need to be executing at a high level within your organization. And so really bringing in that collaborative focus and using the, the product to do that is, is extremely important in the crisis because everyone is going to react differently. There's going to be a lot of human behavioral changes from a normal operations to crisis operations that you also have to manage. Um, and so just really understanding that you want to execute at a high level and using the platform to do that is going to be beneficial in the long run. Broadly, what are some of the things that have been interesting challenges and and learnings that you've had in the last couple of years as every couple of months almost it seems like something comes along that that it might be isolated to only a certain community or a certain part of the world or there's certain domain within the organization but all those scenarios i would imagine stress the the process and to your point the execution model Just curious, what have you learned recently from some of the things that have come up? Yeah, there were so many learnings from the the pandemic and just being involved in this like two to three year long running crisis, right? Yeah. Um, So I think aside from what I talked about earlier in terms of fringe events and thinking outside of the box about some of the threats that may impact you, I also talk about perfect storm scenarios where there's multiple crises happen at the same time sort of impacting your operations and how prepared are you to really deal with that? You know, an organization is going to be prepared to deal with one crisis, maybe some smaller issues here and there, but multiple ones at the same time are going to be a lot harder, especially if you don't have the resources and staff to deal with it. So I think that's one learning, just thinking outside the box in terms of the threats that you're sort of assessing or planning for. And then another one is to just practice like your company depends on it, because A lot of exercises really drive home those habits 
and help you sort of react instinctively when things do happen rather than sort of scrambling, looking for plans or trying to create new processes. So I think the more that you can execute practice and training within the organization and make it realistic and make it functional, like throw in a systems test or throw in a team activation or something like of that nature, just to get folks used to the pattern and the, the habits. I think that's really important too. Yeah, it sounds a lot like the chaos engineering approaches and practices, game days and whatnot, where we will inject some kind of failure into the system over here. But we've set that aside as something we're, we're all aware of and, and going to practice. But here you're talking about simulate it for some other domain that's outside of your your software development and stack for how you're running your your digital platforms, but something that might connect to customers or supply chain or something else. Or do some of those practices, I'm just curious, are, are folks looking at things like chaos engineering or is more flowing the other way where chaos engineering is learning from those types of preparedness practices? I've definitely heard Adrian Cocroft when he talks about it engineering he's like hey it's just like the fire drill it's like when you, your kids go off to school and every year they have practice fire drills so that they're ready but we don't do this for things like your software failing so just curious is there is there a two-way flow of learnings in those different communities or or is it more one way yeah i think there's probably a two-way i think like there's a lot that both can learn from each other and i think even just understanding like the way exercises impact sort of your thinking and your your execution model as well, I think is extremely important. And then, you know, we talked about the fire drill, which, yeah, it's great to like sort of do it and check a box, but like, what are you really testing, right? Mm-hmm. Are you testing the ability for people to walk out of office in an organized fashion, or are you testing whether or not they know that if exit A is blocked, I need to go to exit B? Like throw in some like hurdles and obstacles mm-hmm. to really get them thinking. And I think that that will really go a long way in terms of helping them think on their feet. I think that that brings up this other thought I've been having on this topic. And I, I shared with you just before we went live. So my son's just starting the the scouts and I was looking through all these merit badges and it's like, holy moly. I mean, if you did all of this, you would have be very well versed in a lot of scenarios, both for things that are recreational, but can also introduce risks. So all of the aquatic activities, for example, but basic first aid and, and things like that, that are so useful. And it's like, you look at a program like that and a small fraction of people go through something like that and, and maybe get that kind of exposure and training when they're young before they've settled into this is my day job and this is what I do and and keep building skills within my domain but I'm not out there learning how to do like a totally different thing um, unless it happens to be a, a hobby maybe and so it just got me thinking how much of that goes into that sort of preparedness mindset how do you across an organization that idea of like put in an obstacle get people to really think more holistically about the situation. If everyone picked like one thing to get the merit badge in, if you will, that's outside of their main domain across our population, we'd have a lot of people who covered a lot of different skills 
even if we're dealing with an organization that's, hey, you know, this is not what these people are here to do. It's not their job. But if we had more people on on staff at any given point that knew a little bit more, someone over there knew first aid and someone over there knew something about crisis communications and someone over there knew a little bit more about some other sort of scenario, then together we'd be better off. Is there any kind of thinking about that in terms of skills broadening? Um, How do you motivate that? (laughs) That's really difficult. I think a lot of people don't like to go outside of their comfort zone and their their box when it comes to, especially when it comes to their work, right? Like we're here to to perform certain functions. And so, you know, going outside of that sometimes can feel a little uncomfortable. And so what we like to do in Global Preparedness Month is really gamify some of it and make it a little bit more fun and have some contests, give away some swag. So things like that to help people both learn and also be competitive and really just you know get something up, you know something physical, something like tangible away from it as well. We recently did a, an exercise series where we sort of targeted that sort of mindset. Like, let's get people in the room who are in completely different departments. Let's throw them a crisis scenario and see how everyone responds. Mm-hmm. And so we were able to sort of understand how people view you know, crises within the organization and also within their own departments and then sort of look at the overlaps and say, well, this team knows that this other team may may view crisis more sensitive than another team. And so like some of those learnings from just getting people in a room or in a Zoom call and just running through scenarios, I think it's really important. That that makes a lot of sense and is a really interesting way also, I'm sure, to build some empathy across functional groups where they each realize, oh, I didn't realize that that would be a showstopper for you. I think I participated in in some of the the gamification. I, I believe I now have some really cool emergency. It's like a radio flashlight combo. It's really cool. So I think I got one of those last year. And my husband was very into it because he was the scout himself. So he's like, oh, yeah, I need one of those. I think one of the other questions I have is I I picture that room and are you bringing together the VPs? And But then have we rotated too much where the leaders are the people that are the ones who are trained and, and aware of what to do in a crisis situation? Or how much do you think about distributing across different levels in an organization so that, A, it's not all knowledge and experience that gets locked up at a very senior level, where what if those are some of the people who are affected, but also thinking about balancing that or making that part of the growth of different people in the organization. Just curious, when you bring those cross-functional groups together, do you think about levels of seniority and and having that mixed? Or is there, we actually need to make sure that all folks in leadership positions are at at a baseline here. How how do you think about that? Yeah, I think... Pretty much both, kind of at the same time. So I think the mixed sort of group is something that I think is really important because the senior leaders can you know, drop some of the knowledge that they have for some of the younger folks in the organization and vice versa in terms of like the thinking. And I think that's really important, the interpersonal elements during a crisis as you're responding, as you're working collaboratively to, to solve things, that's important to build ahead of a crisis and then you know, as you're looking at sort of your plans and your organizational structure and governance for crisis management, um, you do want to make sure your senior leaders have a better sense of 
sort of the, the structure, what to expect when a crisis does happen and, and know sort of who's reporting what to who and also, um, you know, what's the breakdown in terms of the functions that are involved. So, um, you know, we use incident commander principles within the organization, and that's a very hierarchical um, sort of structure. So it's very similar in terms of thinking about um, educating and making sure that leaders are prepared and also their direct reports are repaired. I would imagine that sometimes some of the really important insights about what would the impact of this scenario be might be better understood from people who are not with the big title, but they're much closer to that system or that particular process or the, the, how, how something operates. And so that makes sense. It goes both ways. Right. You mentioned the, the incident commander principles and coming back to that, to the, to the guide, looking at the different sections, you start off with terminology, which is, which is great because there's a lot of really specific phrases and reading through that list. <laughs> I think back to, I don't know, like every Gerard Butler movie <laughs> you've seen where it's a White House down scenario. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> I had to update it because I was like, my first thought was, oh no, I'm blanking on his name. The diehard guy. Right. But I'm like, I feel like that's like a generation ago. And now it's like <laughs> Gerard Butler. Yeah. So those are the, the terminology, but it's great to actually learn what those different words even mean. Yeah. And then there's the crisis leadership section, which is where I was coming from, because there's a lot of really interesting uh, and useful frameworks there in terms of just this is what what this means. And then you get into the response operations. And this is where you start to get into how you can actually use PagerDuty applied to this scenario, which is outside what people usually think of in terms of a site reliability engineering domain for, for keeping it responsive. What are some of the things that are important adaptations, mm -hmm. if, if anything, that someone can extend to how you're using PagerDuty and use it in this scenario? What are those adaptations for people to keep in mind? And I also I noticed like you have the incident, you're using workflows as well, which is a relatively new feature um, that folks may not be aware of. And I'm, I'm curious, how do you think about what the, something like a, hey, we're going to kick off this workflow. How do you think about that in a crisis response scenario? Yeah, I think um, you know, something that's new, that's probably, I mean, this is probably old school as well, but I think just being virtual and remote like changes the way we respond to crises now. Before it was, let's get everyone in the boardroom and let's discuss the situation. Mm. Now it's virtual. So you need a, a platform that can help you sort of do that and do it quickly. And so like PageDuty has 700 plus integrations, right? You can figure out any certain way to, to contact people or get people onto a conference call very quickly. And Incident Workflows helps do that in an automated way, which Again, like in the old days, it wouldn't be automated. You have to pick up a phone and call you know, your decision tree or your call list. So, yeah, I think the automation functions and really just centralizing everything into one platform is, is really important. And then whereas it's like technical operations, you're seeing all of these like system errors and all these, you know, whatever other reporting from network outages or infrastructure outages, 
Now you need to think about it in terms of like human like related issues because those are going to be manual triggers. They're not going to be automated, right? So I think that's a, another way to look at it in terms of just switching over from technical to non-technical and just using the platform in a more manual function, but still using the automation to sort of kick off the response and get people notified and things like that. Yeah, yeah. I imagine following that process really consistently. It's like, hey, we we put a lot of thought into <laughs> how we want to do this. Yeah. We hope that we don't ever have to, but if it comes up, we would really like to follow the process that we thought so hard about. Exactly. Um, and so having it not just written down, but set up to actually execute as you had planned for. Okay, that was something that I was curious about because it seemed like a rapid adaptation of something that was a new feature in a platform, but now it's being applied in this scenario. Yeah. So then closing thoughts, what are things you would want to leave with folks to think about in terms of what's that next step that, that they can take in terms of better better preparing for responding and managing a crisis situation? Yeah, that's a really big question. <laughs> yeah, I think so many things, but I think the, the most important thing is to just do some horizon scanning. Think about, you know, what's going to be the most critical sort of hit for you. And think about it in a, in a space where it's not, you know, plain and something that you've seen before, right? Make it a little bit more creative in terms of the scenario. Think about the different, like, impacts across the organization, across not just crisis, but, like, business continuity, your cybersecurity team. Think about your brand and your reputation as well. That's a really important one. So just really look at your crisis management preparations and preparedness holistically scanning the horizon and thinking holistically is i think a good there's one thing people walk away from this discussion and do then that seems like a, a good starting point yeah. thank you jason it was enlightening to chat with you about this yeah. um, just a reminder for folks next week we'll have jake cohen on talking about generative ai and automation and then look out in a, a few more weeks uh, after that, we'll have Meg Watson and Tiago Barbosa talking about Backstage and the PagerDuty plugin for that. So thank you again and have a wonderful rest of your day. Thank you.